Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. Today, I'm very pleased to have on as our guest, noted author and expert on subscription-based products and companies, Robbie Kelman-Baxter. Welcome, Robbie. Oh, thanks for having me, Rebecca. A pleasure. Now, Robbie, I know you have made a career out of subscription businesses and, and helping companies do that. So if you can just give people a little bit of your background and your perspective, then we can dig right into the good stuff. Awesome. Yeah. So um, I, uh, I started my career in strategy consulting. And then after business school, I went into product marketing for several years, got laid off when I was on maternity leave uh, with my second child and said, okay, I'm going to be an independent consultant. And if you are an independent consultant, I'm sure that there are some listening right now, you know that it really helps to have an area of focus. And so, you know, as I kind of launched into being this consultant, and I was doing a lot of different things at the intersection of product and marketing and strategy and tech, um, and uh, about my fifth client was Netflix. And I just fell in love with their business model, the recurring revenue, um, the very, very clear focus on doing one thing really well, um, which in, in, you know, I define as professionally created video content delivered with cost certainty in the most efficient way possible. And I just started digging in on that idea. Um, and as I was digging in on the idea, a lot of other people were too, uh, across a pretty broad range of industries, and started reaching out to me saying, hey, we want to be the Netflix of news, of music, of dental pain management products, bicycles, insurance, you name it, and somebody wanted to, to be the Netflix of that thing. And so I started trying to build a framework for what does it really mean to be like Netflix? And how does it apply across different industries and different organization structures? And that was kind of the root for my area of focus. I just, it was, it was narrow enough that I thought I could become an expert on it. It was broad enough and challenging enough to be infinitely interesting. And so I just pulled on that thread uh, 10 years into it, I wrote The Membership Economy, which came out in 2015, which explained why I was so excited about what I was seeing and how I thought it could be useful for, for virtually any entrepreneur or executive. And five years later in 2020, uh, I no longer have to explain to people the power of subscription, uh, but a lot of them are struggling. A lot of people are struggling with the tactics of how you actually build a model that justifies recurring revenue. And so that's really what I focused my new book, The Forever Transaction, on. Great. All right. So you named uh, uh, several different subscription companies. And, and to your point, they're a huge variety, right? Everything, as you said, from, from bicycles to food to, to fairly large software programs. Yeah. What to you at the core makes, regardless of what they offer, what makes a good subscription company? Uh, so a good a, a, a company that has a good subscription business has a, what I call a forever promise with their with their customers. So they're very customer centric and focused 
on that long-term relationship, on solving a problem or achieving a goal on behalf of that customer forever. So, you know, a good, a good subscription product has that headline benefit that says, this is why you should join us. That's why you should sign up. But also here's the promise for the long-term of how we're going to continue to evolve our offering to help you in the best way possible to achieve that goal that's on your plate. That's interesting. We had a guest on uh, last month who said that the difference is uh, with non-subscription products, they don't care if you like it. And I, I think that's an extreme version of it, <laughs> right? For sure. Totally. But I love that. <laughs> it's, you know, it's like, I always say like, if, if I drive a Lamborghini off the showroom floor and I write a check, you know, I write a check, here you go, here's all that money for this new super fast car. And then I drive it off the showroom floor and I keep it in first gear all the way home. And then I say, wow, this is a terrible car. It doesn't go very fast. And it makes a really loud noise, but doesn't really do what they promised me. That's my problem because I already bought it. Um, if I'm subscribing to that same car and I can cancel my subscription at any time, it becomes really important to the organization that I get the value I paid for. Yeah. And, and you continue to see it. So let's talk about some of the ways that people not just build the value, but help uh, show it to the audience. What are some, what are some of the, 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 the hints or trips that you lay out in your framework? Yeah. So the first thing is to have that, that forever promise so that the whole organization is building around that goal rather than around the product itself. So who is it for? What problem are you solving? What goal are you helping them achieve? And then once you kind of dig into how you, how you build that or how you make it, I think that the first thing that you want to think about, you know, the first thing that you naturally think about is that headline benefit that's going to attract somebody for acquisition but then you want to think about how do we onboard them so that they're getting the value that they're paying for as quickly as possible in those first seconds, minutes, or days when somebody decides, am I going to make this subscription part of my habits or am I going to cancel? And, you know, a lot of people actually put a note in, you know, I know I do when I, when I join something or I subscribe, I put a note the day before I need to cancel so that I can remind myself if I don't want it or if I forgot about it, that I, can, that I can get out of my relationship. So you really want to make sure that they're getting so much value in that first period that they don't want to cancel and they decide that this is part of their new normal. Well, that's so interesting because the way you put it, right, uh, in, in the time to value in seconds, minutes, days, right? This is not like, oh, maybe in the first three months they'll find it useful. To your point, these are sometimes really immediate decisions and connections because they, they signed up for this product because of the headline benefit and something that felt sort of urgent and immediate. And if you can't capture it right then and, and show the value, then, then you may have lost them for good. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, there's a half-life on enthusiasm, right? So there is that moment where I'm digging into the product, usually right after I bought it or right after it was given to me, uh, where I say, okay, I'm going to just check this out now. And if that, if that product doesn't, or that experience doesn't kind of suck you in and you say, oh yeah, I'm getting, you know, I always say you want to get value immediately because often when you sign up, you're doing it because you actually have something important that you want to achieve. Like, you know, if you sign up for Spotify, it's because you need music for your backyard barbecue right then. You don't want them to ask you 500 questions about, 
you know, your preferences of music and, you know, your history with the Bee Gees or whatever, you're like, I just want to say play barbecue music and I want to go. And then maybe later, you know, show me all the features and all the ways I can make it better. So give me value right away. Reinforce the wisdom of my decision and then show me what I can do to get all the value I'm entitled to. You give them the one immediate win, not everything all at once, yes, right? Don't dump exactly. all the cool features on you at once. Let them get the win and then show them a path to getting more and more value along the way. Yeah, exactly. The other thing you said, which you can definitely tell that you spent some time as a product marketer, which of course I totally appreciate, uh, <laughs> was that you know getting the whole organization to revolve around the promise and not the product. And I think that's such a, a wonderful example of having, of, of setting uh, value and the problems you solve as your core message uh, at, the, at the organization level. Are there some ways you've seen companies do that really successful? Because it sounds like easy, of course, this is the promise, but how do, we, how do we make that really take hold within the organization and spread through it so everyone understands, is bought in, and is focused on that? Yeah, this is such a good question. I, th I think the first thing might be a little counterintuitive, um, but is I think quite important, which is to acknowledge that when you become customer centric, that means you're not other kinds of centric. And the two that I often think about are product centric um, or uh, sales centric. And, and these are all good models and they've all worked well at, at many organizations, but I think of a sales centric model as a model where the emphasis in the whole organization is on quarterly numbers, right? How much are we selling this quarter? Are we hitting our goal? It's very short-term. It's very quantitative. Um, it's very financial. Um, a product-centric uh, approach, and you can feel this when you walk into an organization, is one where the products themselves are prize winners. And um, this, can be, this can be in a technical product, but this can also, I see this a lot in, let's say, news organizations where they have fantastic journalists, and that's the product, the journalism. Or in medical systems where the product is the surgery, right? The procedures are the products. Um, you know, you can, see, you can imagine right away the difference between being focused on the surgeries and focused on the well-being of the patient. And just acknowledging that you're, you're tra sometimes trading these things off and that the culture is going to be different is a really important first step because each of these different models kind of favors a different way of looking at things. So that would be really the first thing. And then there's a lot of tactical things that you can do. Um, you can, you know, I, I can recognize a customer-centric organization when I walk in and I see hero shots of customers, not hero shots of products, for example. Um, when an organization talks in terms of, you know, kind of long-term vision, bigger picture, as opposed to, you know, we got to hit this number no matter what, um, giving permission to people to do the right thing by customers, knowing who your best customer is and, and in contrast, who your not best customer is and being willing to make design decisions for the best ones, even if they, that means that you might lose a not best one. So being able to say no is really important because, you know, if I walk into a McDonald's with my husband in a gown and I say, it's our anniversary, show us to your finest table, bring us a bottle of your finest champagne, <laughs> you know, they're, they're going to say, we don't really do that, right? We don't really do fancy, you know, fancy anniversary celebrations. We have, and, and this is our menu. And if this doesn't work for you, 
go somewhere else, go down the street to another restaurant. They don't feel bad. They don't run out and say, oh my gosh, we have a customer. Customer's always right. Where's the champagne? Where's the steak? Um, and I think organizations need to be really clear on who they're serving, what problem they're solving, and also what problems they're not solving, because that's part of really getting to know that customer and being able to focus on that customer. Um, there's also things like getting really into the customer journey and some of the um, you know, I think a lot of companies, when they think about customer journey, they're very focused on that customer's journey with our product, as opposed to the customer's journey that they're on, where we are one small piece of that journey. So it's kind of the difference between saying, um, you know, if I'm a white blouse, if I'm a company that sells white blouses, right, we're, we're a white blouse, we're worn, you know, about once a month, we're worn for these occasions and those occasions. But, you know, in someone's closet, it's like, I'm trying to look professional. I'm trying to, you know, not have to shop all the time. You know, how do I make it so I always look good? Not how do I have a white blouse? Mm. And so, you know, the whole organization thinking about the journey of that person to look good, where a white blouse is a small piece of the equation, as opposed to just focusing on the occasions when the white blouse is, is touched. I want to go back to, to something you just said a, a, a few minutes ago about uh, knowing what customers to say no to. Do you think that's more important in a subscription business than in a, in a or a, with a subscription product than with a non-subscription product? I, I do because in a subscription business, it's not enough to just attract them. You have to engage and retain them. So if you attract the wrong people, then they leave or they direct you in, in a, in a they, they, they distract you. And so if, if I buy, let's back, go back to the Lamborghini example. If I buy a Lamborghini and I'm not the ideal customer for it, well, it doesn't matter because they got the full amount from me and the likelihood of me buying another car, you know, I'm probably not going to buy another car anyway for 10 years. So it doesn't matter or seven years or whatever that, that is. If I'm subscribing and they bring in the wrong person through the front door, especially if they have high acquisition costs of getting that person in the front door, and then that person scoots out the back door or turns around in the doorway without ever going in, they've wasted that investment in acquiring the customer. Or if that customer comes in and is banging around saying, hey, where's the champagne? Where's the white tablecloth? it's going to distract and upset the whole organization. And then when that person leaves and they tell everybody else, you know, I went to McDonald's, it's a terrible place. They have no caviar, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right? They're, they're sort of spreading misinformation um, that, that will hurt their whole system. Like one of the things that I loved when I worked with Netflix is how clean their entire system was. They knew who to attract they knew how to onboard that person. They knew the cost of their free trial, you know, the cost that they incurred for that acquisition. And they knew how long, with, with pretty good accuracy, how long that person was going to stay if they made it through the first month, second month, or third month. They knew the value of different cohorts. Um, and because that was also clear to them and so important to their ability to predict what their revenues were going to be and what their needs were going to be going forward, the last thing they wanted to do was to bring in people that were coming in for the wrong reasons or weren't a good fit with their product because those people, not only would they leave and be unhappy and have high acquisition costs, but they would also make all of their data really murky. Mm. I can see that. I can also see the, 
the distraction from a product perspective, right? If, if the people that are further away from the core, the more sort of adjacent functionality they're going to be interested in. And right, to be successful, exactly. it needs to be tight, consistent offering. I can position it different ways, right? But you, you don't want to you don't want sort of the Swiss army knife of offers. It, it, it would be less. Problem. Right. Exactly. Well, if you're Swiss army knife, if every, if your scissors and your knife and your fork and your nail file all work phenomenally well, that's all well and good, but that's very expensive to create mm-hmm. a product where everything works really, really well. Um, and what I see a lot when organizations go for that Swiss army knife approach is that not all of the features are great or the bundle of features when put together doesn't fully solve the problem for any of those different Mm. segments, any of those different. So it's like we have 60% of the features for these guys and 60% of the features for those guys. And we have, you know, we have a price point for the high end people, but for the people that are more price sensitive, they're forced to pay for that when what they really want is just this one feature. It's like, you know, you're, you're serving no one really well. Yeah. So is there a, a big difference in the way you work with companies who are sort of built from the ground up to, to offer sub- sub- subscription products or those who are maybe trying to pivot a, a more traditional business model and, and product into being subscriptions? So I, I work with them in the same way, in the same kind of bespoke advisory way um, and, you know, kind of going with the same framework. But what's really different are the problems that they have at different phases. So for a company that's doing a pivot or that's doing an expansion where they're incorporating subscription, a lot of the issues end up being uh, cultural or mindshare related issues, or they're issues of being very short-term focused and needing to see that pay off right away. So, so for example, um, you know, I'm working with, with one company uh, where they have a, um, a boxed, you know, a, a packaged content offering where you, where you buy it um, and then you own it. And now they want the, you know, to ha- you to have access to a full range of, of different types of content and they can't have any dip in, in revenue or profitability while they introduce this new thing. Um, so that's very challenging when you have two businesses running side by side um, instead of one, and you can't lose, you can't spend more than, than you're making. Um, you know, those are some, you know, that's one of the challenges that, that is faced by an organization that's layering in a second business model. Um, and then culturally, if your whole organization is very product focused or very episodically focused, so the, the metrics are different, they're going to look at, you know, the, um, the uh, average transaction size, for example, as opposed to lifetime customer value. Um, They may not, you know, the organization may not be set up to look at, um, you know, kind of longer term metrics. Um, And then culturally, different people in the organization are going to become more or less strategic when you move from an episodic or transactional kind of model to one that's more about the relationship with the customer. And so people become protective of their fiefdoms also. So the issues in an organization that's a going concern are really different than an issue. The issues when you've got a startup, you've got like seven years before you have to make any money, you've got time to invest and you have no legacy systems that you've already invested in. Um, So you can really focus on what's in the best interest for, for tomorrow's customer. Yeah, I would imagine those transformation journeys 
kind of look pretty different, uh, even though we're getting to the same point and thinking about the same things. Uh, whereas the startup maybe has less um, depth and experience and knowledge in, in sort of some of the operational items that would be an advantage. There's also some baggage, for lack of a better word, that can come when we're trying exactly. to, to switch that kind of view. Yeah. And I think one other thing that's sort of, that's been interesting to me that I've realized is that in phase one, in that entrepreneurial phase where you're getting started, um, it, you need more, you know, kind of uh, entrepreneurial people, strategic uh, people that, that don't need a lot of infrastructure, that don't need a lot of clear guidelines that can kind of just, you know, iterate really quickly, um, be really creative, work outside the lines, um, and then when you get to your scaling phase where you actually have a going concern, operational excellence becomes much more important. Mm. Consistency, processes, rules. I mean, there's a reason for all of those things. Um, and so if you're an organization that's been around for a long time, the chances are that you're very operational heavy. And so to develop something new, your your organization may not have those you know, that kind of strength, um, or it may have been tamped down a lot. So that can be just a, a cultural issue, just even in getting something new started. So one of the other things I think I find interesting or fascinating, really, um, is that you've been working with subscription products for so long, right? And, and Netflix was sort <laughs> of a, a new, that sounds terrible, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you were really young when you started, Robbie. Um, but, 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 when the Netflix subscription model came out, it was pretty new, right? And so there, there wasn't, I mean, there were others, but it wasn't, there's been such an abundance of different subscriptions of all different types uh, that have come up through the years that just didn't exist then. And I wondered how the business landscape changes or what, what comes different now that it's, it's, uh, it's getting to be the norm and expectation to have that offering and where there is such a proliferation of other offerings. How has that changed? Um, yeah. So it's changed. I mean, there's, there's so many ways that it's changed. I mean, you know, when I wrote the membership economy, nobody was really interested in subscription. There were, there were SaaS businesses. Um, there were uh, some, you know, kind of digital consumer um, businesses, but they were mostly small and they were mostly considered kind of edge case or unique. Um, today, there's, you know, there's streaming wars, first of all. So, you know, anybody that creates video content or audio content is sort of in the streaming wars right now. And then you have, you know, Caterpillar, the heavy equipment company, they're looking at subscription revenue, services revenue right now, but they're also looking at a world where you don't buy your heavy equipment, you subscribe to it. Um, you know, pretty much, you know, every consumer products company has a subscription initiative going on right now. Every retailer has a subscription initiative going on right now. Uh, most financial services organizations are moving toward a membership or a subscription or an ongoing kind of relationship with the people they serve with their clients. Um, so it's just a new world. And the good news is that consumers and businesses, like when I was working with, with SaaS companies, even let's say five years ago, um, there was still like pretty uphill battle with a lot of organizations to just convince them that it was safe and secure um, and that it would work in their, you know, with all of their other systems. Today, in contrast, um, 
you don't have to explain it anymore. You don't have to explain it to, uh, to, to business buyers. You don't have to explain it to consumers. Everybody understands how to buy and use subscription offerings, how to access things instead of owning them. Yeah, that the hurdle of explaining it is so much smaller. But I do wonder if, you know, you think about this with the streaming wars, and it's certainly not happened yet at my house. But at some point, you think, do I possibly need another one? And then yes. you know, Disney Plus does Hamilton, and you think, well, yes, yes, I do. Oh yeah, we uh, all need Hamilton. We all need a little. <laughs> we need Hamilton. But you know, the the so the, you know that the, the upside I kind of went into. You know, it's great for companies because you know your customers understand subscription. Um, and there's lots of resources too. There's lots of infrastructure for subscriptions, lots of consultants for subscriptions, lots of writing, even academic writing about subscription. The downside is um, subscriptions are really, you know, consumers are really tired of subscriptions and businesses too. And there's kind of a, a wariness where they don't really trust subscription companies. And, you know, there's this whole concept now, a lot of people are talking about subscription fatigue. Like, are we done with subscriptions? Are people tired of them? And you know, I think that part of that comes from what you just described, which is, do I really need another streaming service? You know, can't I just have one service and have enough content for everybody? Um, why do I have to subscribe to this productivity tool when I'd rather just own it outright like I used to be able to? Um, now you want me to subscribe to this restaurant. I can't just go when I feel like it. Um, it feels overwhelming to people. And so if you're a business that's just getting into subscription, you have to understand that your, your customers are kind of going to be giving you the side eye because they feel like you might be taking advantage of them. You might not have product market fit and be forcing them to subscribe to some bundle of features that don't really make sense for you. Um, they might be giving you way more than you possibly want and then forcing you to pay for stuff you don't need. Um, and making you feel bad about yourself for not using it all. Like the, I sometimes think of that as like the New Yorker problem or the Blue Apron problem where you've got, you know, meal kits in your fridge that you didn't use and that makes you feel bad about yourself. Um, or, you know, these businesses that hide the cancel button, which is my personal pet peeve, even though I know it might extend a subscription by a month or two, uh, hiding the cancel button in the long term really damages your brand equity for your organization and your reputation. And it also contributes to this general cynical feeling about the value and the trustworthiness of subscriptions. Interesting. Um, now, it, it, looking at changes more recently, has there been changes to, to subscription businesses and, the, and sort of the lens of which they're looked at with COVID? Yeah, so it's so interesting. I'm so glad you asked about COVID. Um, you know, I didn't know what was, I mean, like everybody, I did not know what was going to happen. Um, and all this time I've been telling people subscriptions are more resilient. Subscriptions, you know, your, your customer has decided that you're part of your habits. They're much less likely to cancel. They're much like, more likely to kind of weather a storm with you. And what we've seen is that subscription businesses are proving to be much more resilient, first of all, than transactional businesses because customers made them a habit and built a relationship. They're very long-term in, in, in kind of focus. And you know, I saw some data coming out of Zora, the subscription billing company that indicated that something like you know, 80 plus percent of all the subscription 
businesses that use their platform, which is a pretty good sample, um, reported either a flat or increasing number of members uh, in this second quarter um, versus, uh, you know, last year. So really interesting to see the resilience. And then, you know, the things that are happening in other businesses is that uh, other kinds of non-subscription businesses are realizing they have a moment to get into subscription, that this is one of those rare moments where customers are willing to try new things and adopt new habits because we have to. And so, like, you know, I was working with um, a, a grocery, a big grocery chain that had been pretty slow to get into subscription, but this really made them accelerate because they had to come up with a way for their customers to get the groceries without going into the store and so they had to figure out e-commerce. They had to figure out what kind of a program to build that relationship. Um, same thing with learning you know, organizations and associations. They're rethinking their models because they can no longer do in-person events. So it's really moved the subscription needle really quickly. We've gone really far, really fast. Um, so that's also been, been really interesting to see. So, so big changes, a lot has, has happened in the subscription world. And then of course, a lot of subscriptions that have been around for a while are enjoying a real spike right now. Um, you know, everything from, you know, the Zooms of the world to, you know, the, the, you know, the, the Stravas and the kind of, and the Pelotons that are, that provide, you know, ongoing relationship with that digital flexibility. It does seem like a, a, a good, it's a good market right now, um, and it allows people for to, certain things. Yeah, yeah, that's true, very true. But for some from this, some of the subscriptions, very much so. All right, Robbie, we've talked about a bunch of different things. Uh, if you were going to have people do or think about two things differently tomorrow, based on what we talked about today, what would that be? So the, I have a long-term thing and a short-term thing. The, the long-term thing is to take a step back from whatever you're doing and say, what is the forever promise we are making and who are we making it to? And then just take another look at what you're doing through that lens. You know, this is the person whose problem we're, and this is the problem we're trying to solve for them. And how well are we doing that right now? And what more could we be doing for them? I think that's, you know, you don't have to change your pricing structure to subscription. You don't have to redesign your offering. You don't have to do anything. Just look at it through that lens. Um, and it's amazing what you start to see, what gaps and what opportunities. And then the other thing that I would encourage people to think about is how are you onboarding your new customers for long-term success? Um, and this, again, can be true whether it's transactional, episodic, or more ongoing or, or membership or subscription oriented. But to just say, what can we do not just, you know, most, many companies focus so much on how do we get them to buy? How do we get them to learn about our offering, to try our offering, to buy our offering? But to say, okay, let's go to the next step. And once they buy the offering, how do we make that, 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 that next little phase really establish habits and loyalty and engagement with our customers? And what do we want them to do that's going to give them the value they're paying for? So I think those two things, the long-term, what's our forever promise and to whom? And what does that mean for our, our model and our product? And then short-term, how can we better optimize the onboarding experience so that they get the value they're paying for? 
because whether or not you're selling or subscribing, um, if people are engaged to what you offer and they value it and they use it, um, you're more likely to be able to expand their relationship, sell them more, increase lifetime customer value, and also continue to innovate in a way that's going to meet the needs of the people you serve. Great advice, Robbie. Uh, and a great conversation. I really, really appreciate you joining us today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Went by so fast. I know. And then uh, if you want to learn more about Robbie, I recommend that you go to her website where you can access her blog and her podcast. That's RobbieKelmanBaxter.com, which we will put in the description. And also be sure to check out her book, The Forever Transaction. Thank you, Robbie. Thanks so much for having me, Rebecca. All right, that does it for today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.